What's going on, everybody? This is Troy Pryor, founder of Creative Cypher and host of the Cypher Live podcast, where we interview thought leaders and creative entrepreneurs. And we've got a very talented uh, brother with us today. Uh, you will see him on the hit show, Bel Air, playing Doc Hightower, hailing from Inglewood, California, actor and educator, Brooklyn McClinton. Thank you for joining us today. Yes, sir. Thanks for having me, man. So, look, I want to start out with talking about acting right but as someone who is also in the wellness industry i'm really interested to learn more about what inspired you to start your wellness organization um yeah that's interesting um it was actually a suggestion by uh courtney glaude who a very talented writer director in his own right he wrote um he wrote and directed uh the reading a movie star Monique that's on BT plus. So he was helping me with uh, a personal project and he just out of the blue was like, yo, you got a foundation? And I was like, nah, he was like, well, you need one. And I was like, all right, well, I don't really know what that is. Like, what you talking about? And he was like, man, your story and this, and like, you can, you know, be promoting health and wealth. Like he just broke, painted this picture. And I was like, Hey man, I'm divinely led, so let's do it. And he's like, well, you need to talk to uh, Barry, my publicist. And I was like, all right. So we talked and she's been a godsend. Like she's so on it. She just kind of mapped out everything that we need to do. And, you know, the, the basically the motivation behind it is to try to address preventable diseases in, you know, black and brown communities, you know what I mean? So I personally have had to deal with, you know, heart, issues for the last seven plus years you know my dad died of a heart attack grandmother died of a heart attack and i i had my first heart problems in 2016 ironically the week after i booked a role on tyler perry's tv show the have and have nots so i worked that first week came home for the weekends playing basketball had a heart attack and couldn't go back to the show mm. And I was just like, God, like, come on. Like, why, why is this happening now? You know what I mean? An extremely uphill battle. Um, but as you know, just being a former athlete, it's like, you know how to get in shape. It's just making the decision to get in shape. You know, yeah. there's no magic formula. It's literally one foot, all the cliches you can think of, one foot at a time, you know, day by day. Like, so literally as I was going through this, um, I never fully fell off just because my mind doesn't really function well if I'm not doing some type of fitness, even in weakened states. Um, and the doctors, you know, impress upon you how important it is for to recover. You need to be doing some type of exercise and really more your mental fitness has to be on point because your body is basically in its weakened state telling you you can't do it. And so it's easy for the mind to follow that and then you fall into uh, a depression or something like that. And, you know, I've always been pretty mentally tough. I just would ask myself, like, are you giving up? Like anytime I felt like I couldn't do something, I was like, is, is you ready to quit? No, no, I'm not ready to go. All right, well then get up and go do it. You know what I mean? So, um, but I was hesitant to get a heart transplant um, the first doctor suggested that I get one, like the day I had my first heart attack was playing basketball, feeling great, 
had the, the episode and he was like, you need a new heart. I was just playing basketball this morning. Like, how, how do I go from that to my heart ain't no good? And in the six years that have passed to me having one now and been two years since I got the transplant, I realized I wasn't the person that I needed to be to actually receive it. Because that dude six, seven years ago didn't think he needed one. The guy that got one understood, even though I was still hesitant, and more so because I struggle with the idea that somebody has to die so you can live. Oh. So I was like, well, I'm in my mid-40s. Like, I've had a good run. Like, I don't want nobody to die. Like, this, this is my plight. This is my plight. So hesitantly, I went in there and able to rationalize the situation to understand the blessing and the gift that it is and how this person is this spirit is allowing me to continue on so i was able to shift my attitude about it and uh the person that i needed to become inside of there because basically it's during the pandemic you're waiting i waited three months in the hospital with no visitors you know it's really like solitary and confinement because you can't leave the room and so I ultimately got the transplant, but had a stroke during the surgery. So I woke up and I couldn't move the left side of my body. Um, and being left-handed, that freaked me out, you know? So two more months I had to stay, just rehab, you know, learning how to walk, learning how to write, you know, some speech therapy um, to the point where I could go home walking with a cane. And then from there it was just, you know, you gotta, you gotta work your way back. So um, it probably took about a good, for me at least, because that muscle memory is real, um, maybe like six, seven months before you couldn't tell that I had a transplant. But still stuff was working itself out. So I would say two years now, a little over two years later, I feel the best I felt probably since before that heart attack. Oh. So I still deal with some left side weakness, but I can play basketball again. You know, like my life is so close to what it was previously. And I'm somebody who can appreciate it more so now than I could seven years ago. There it is, man. So I'm hearing, whoo, man, I'm hearing the testimony in that. And it puts a, a, a much greater, uh, you know, emphasis and a, a perspective changes your perspective on the blessings that you do have and yeah. the opportunities that you do have. Uh, I know I could even appreciate watching the performances even more, understanding that backstory. And yeah. for so many of the listeners out there that are either starting their careers or creative entrepreneurs or just on whatever their walk of life or where their journey is, hearing your story, hearing the trials and tribulations. And one of the things that really stood out to me, I really appreciate is you mentioned the change of attitude. Yeah. So this, the, the perception, your perspective has an impact on even healing. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah not yeah, just yeah. for, not just for yourself, but helping others that may be going through uh, situations themselves. Yeah. You, and, and people ask me like, you know, I, I bet you got a different perspective now. You're probably so grateful. And I was like, you know what? I was grateful before this stuff happened. I was appreciative before this stuff happened. But the thing, the biggest lesson is there's levels to, to life. There's levels to everything To So no matter how grateful you are or you think you are based on what you've been through, something can happen 
and you can be even more grateful. And then you break that plateau and then something can happen and you'd be like, oh, I'm even like, so something as small as stubbing your toe. Like you don't think about it. You walk, you do stuff, you climb stairs, you, you run, you jump, and then you stub your toe. You're like, yo, I, I didn't realize how much I used that toe until it started hurting. And now you're like, man, when this thing stops hurting, I'm going to appreciate my toe more. But it's like, that's what it is. So to have the heart attack and not die, you're like, okay, I'm grateful. My dad died from his. My grandmother died from hers. I didn't die. I'm grateful, right? And then, but your heart is messed up. So you need open heart surgery. And you're like, okay, cool. I'm going to get this thing fixed and everything's going to be great. you know. And then the surgery fails after six weeks. And you're like, man, okay, I got to do the same open heart surgery again. And you're like, okay, if however I come out of this, I'm just going to be happy just to be alive, right? Like everything that I thought I was going to be doing, I don't even need to do that. And I'm just, if I can walk without pain, like you start making deals with yourself, you know, and then to have a second heart attack and I flatlined on the way to the hospital to the point where they had to use the paddle. Then you like, oh, I got it. Like, okay, so I'm still alive. Like, how does that even work? You know, and then it's like, oh, you, you need a pacemaker. So then they put in the pacemaker. And then they're like, you get this heart. So it's like, there's so many different tiers to gratitude and appreciation. Uh-huh. So for me, my biggest fear was dying at of a heart attack. Uh-huh. So the fact that I, I had the heart attack and didn't die, now I'm like, what is there to be uh, fearful of anymore? Uh-huh. So I'm like, Every day, I'm just like waking up like, man, I woke up today. You go outside and like, it's overcast. How beautiful is this? Like, it don't even need to be sunny. You know what I mean? Like, Uh it's raining. How cool is that? Like, you know what I mean? So it's like, it just kind of forces you to graduate your gratitude and appreciation. So, you know, getting this job with Bel Air or or anything like booking wise, it's just, man, you just realize how fortunate you are, um, how, how grateful you can be and how more grateful and it's not to beat yourself up over it, but as it comes, just understand it has nothing to do with you personally. Like, Oh, that person wasn't grateful. That's why that happened to them. It's like, no, they were grateful at the level that they, their consciousness allowed them to be. And then something happened. You go, Oh, I can be more grateful. I like that. Uh, I might have to title this episode, graduating your gratitude. I like that right there. Yeah. That was dope. That's dope. So just um, transitioning a bit, we talked about, you, you mentioned Bel Air. Mm-hmm. You know, what was that like when you got the call? So Bel Air, man. So I I have a background in basketball. Um, and I get the audition. I'm looking at it. I'm reading the sides. And I'm like, I can do this. Like, like the stuff that I was having to remember, I've actually said to people before. So I was like, I don't even have to like this. I really could just do this. Right. Yeah, You know that but, life. Right. But we get auditions like that all the time. It don't mean you're going to get it because there's other factors in, in play. And I just understand that my job is to do what I do best and then let it go. Like, you know, they say, let go like God, like all the cliche stuff that you, we think is so cheesy are so true. So 
I do the audition, I submit the tape, and I was like, you know what? I'm gonna take my, uh, I have guardianship of my baby nephew, right? So I take him, we go to the Grove, we just gonna walk around, let him just get outside. And I'm telling my, a friend of mine, I was like, yo, I just had this audition to basically play myself on Bel Air. And she was like, what, that's crazy. So you think you're gonna get it? I was like, man, I don't know, but I feel good about it. And as we're saying this, I look and I'm going, yo, that looks like the kid that plays Will at the Grove, he's walking towards me. And like, I just auditioned for the show today, whatever, whatever. So he walked right past me at the Grove. And he was like, what? He goes, yeah, I live right, right around the corner from there. And I was like, that's crazy. And then my niece on the show, I have guardianship of her because my sister can't take care of her. So I'm like, how about I just got guardianship of my baby nephew because his dad and mom can't take care of him. So like the parallels were like super oh. eerie, right? And everybody's like, man, you clearly supposed to be here. And I was like, I know. So it's like, for me, it was grateful for the gig, appreciative of the gig, but I'm always kind of like, it's, it's really bigger than the job. It's really the conversations that you're gonna have with people that are gonna move the needle forward for anybody. So like the job is cool, but I'm like, it ain't just about this job. It's about, hey man, how you doing today? Uh -huh. If it's a cast member, if it's a grip, if it's a PA, if it's the whoever it is, like, cause we, we're nothing without each other. So yeah, we are fortunate to be doing these jobs and having this light shined upon us, but it's like, what are we doing with that time in, in the limelight? Uh -huh. So that's really yeah. what it is for me. It's like every day is kind of like when I leave, if it's to go to the grocery store, to the gym, it's like, what am I supposed to see? And it's really comes to this. It's like, God, what would, where would you have me go? What would you have me do? What would you have me say? And whom would you have me say it to? Now, see, I can, I really appreciate that because I come from a family full of clergy, man. So it sounds like we need to pass the collection tray right now, you know. <laughs> uh, but you know what? It brings up a really great point that we preach to a lot of the creators is what is your why? You know, it's yes. amazing to see yourself on the big screen, on a hit television show, but I really appreciate um, the idea that you have a platform yeah. and an opportunity to do something with that. Do you feel that artists and creators have a responsibility to society or only to themselves or blend of the two? I think it's, I think it's really individual. Um, and I, I truly believe that everybody's on their own journey. So I know for me, because my story is so extreme, it's easier for me to change directions, right? Some people's story, no fault for, to them. It's like, it's not that bad. So it's like, why would I feel the need to do something above and beyond when the circumstances don't call for it? Like it's the rare individual that never really had to go through any real testimonies or trials, I'll say, and go, I'm gonna become this and do that. Usually it takes some type of trial, some type of, uh, tragedy, you know, for the person to go, yo, I, I need to be doing stuff different. 
you know, and I just always been somebody just innately who's who wants to be of service, um, but not necessarily knowing how to. And then understanding as you get older and through experience that just by being your authentic self is enough and be willing to to share your experiences, whether somebody can receive it at that time or not. Um, I think it's foolish for somebody with a problem to think they're the only person who's ever had that problem. Mm. Like it, with billions of people that have walked this planet, you telling me nobody has had your problem before? Nobody had a broken heart. Nobody had a family member tragically you know, killed or a family member in jail or a transplant or anything, right? So it's like, no, we, somebody either has written a book or did a audio or something to explain how they got through, or you should be the person to go, hey, look what happened to me. Uh -huh. Because everybody just is not necessarily confident enough to, to, to ask for help uh -huh. or say they need something. So for somebody to go, I've never had somebody listen to what I've been through and gone. You should keep that to yourself. Huh. Usually yeah. it's like, yo, man, I didn't go what you went through, but I got something that I'm going through and you said it, blah, blah, blah. And the way you over, you know what I mean? It's like, it's inevitable. So it's like, why more people don't do it? Because either they're afraid of how somebody's going to view them. I don't know. Like, so it's really to each his own, as cliche as that sounds, it's like, but I, you know, the gift that I've been given but I've always felt that responsibility. And I can see how that can be applied in multiple ways. So let's talk about that. Why is it so important to build your tribe? Just because you have to have an understanding that, and it's like a, it's like an African proverb and I, I'll butcher it right now, but it's something like, if you want to go fast, go alone. But if you want to go mm -hmm. far, like go with people, you know what I mean? It's like, so for me, and especially as a man, and maybe you can relate, like we always kind of get told, like, don't ask for help. Like you're you're weak if you ask for help. Like you got to figure it out for your, yourself. Mm -hmm. But nobody does anything by themselves. Right. Right. Even the most self-made somebody got some information from somebody. Like this is impossible to go, I did this all by myself. It's like, no, somebody helped you carry a box. Somebody helped hold the microphone or can't somebody did something, right? So that's the thing. It's like, we just gotta be okay. Like knowing that there's actually strength in asking for help because how can you be expected to know what you don't know? Uh -huh. And if somebody's doing it, you know, it's possible. Now you gotta be willing to hear no because not everybody's willing to share their information. That's cool, but no don't mean Stop asking. No means ask somebody else, uh -huh. you know, and just keep moving. So, you know, there's a, some intricacies to it, but, you know, on, on a broad scale, it's just we have to be more willing to ask for help and know that it's not a sign of weakness to ask, you know. But that's, I see it all the time. I was just in the gym today shooting baskets, and the guy comes over, and he's like, hey, man, how do you do that right and i'm like oh wow like and dude's probably like 35 years old like it ain't like he got a future at it but he was just like yo he's interested all right man this is what you got and broke down a couple of things he's like i've never i never knew that mm. and i'm like 
Yeah, but you had the courage to ask. Now you know. Wow. You know, so it doesn't mm-hmm. matter what it is. It's like we just we got to be willing to hear no, though. That's that's the tough part. Rejection is real. Mm-hmm. It don't feel good, but it doesn't mean you shouldn't be doing what you want to do. It just means you know change course, change direction. I always tell folks, man, this industry throws at you an unreal amount of rejection. So, you know, for those actors that are going in auditioning, uh, they can really appreciate those words of wisdom. Just, you know, talking about how an actor can go in, do their audition, have fun, and then walk away from it without the anxiety of worrying or wondering about how they could have did this or if they could have said this better. So it's just good to hear those words of wisdom. My uncle said to me one time, he said, he said, watched water doesn't boil. <laughs> right? So you put water on the stove and you sitting there staring at it, waiting for it to boil. And it feel like it take forever. And then you go, oh, let me go in the kitchen or let me go to my room real quick. You come back and the pot is just going crazy. Mm-hmm. It's like there's a there's an incubation period that things need in order to come to fruition. So that's like, and you can over nurture something. You can mm. overdo it. So we can plant a strawberry bush or tree, whatever it is, and water it every day and flood it and kill it. Mm-hmm. It's like, no, do what you're supposed to do. Plant it, read the directions, sow your seeds, nurture it, and then leave because God has to do or nature has to do its portion. And then you come back to check on it and you do what you're supposed to do. You fix it, you, you know, whatever, and then you leave. So it's like with entertainment, and I've sh- I shared this recently, it's like you go through spells where you're not booking anything, right? And it doesn't mean necessarily that I need to be doing something extra. It's like, no, how about you've sown seeds and it takes time uh-huh. for it to come to fruition. Like a baby takes nine months. If we wanted that baby after a month, it'd be deformed. It's not ready. Your career may not be ready. Like, it's like, take take the pressure off, do what you're supposed to do and allow the universe or God or whatever you call it to do its part. And that's just what it is, but we don't get told that. So we too busy comparing our journeys to others. And some people feel like it's overnight. Oh, how did they do it so fast? So that's theirs, man. Like some people, you know, uh, Sam Jackson was in his mid forties before anything. He's like one of the top grossing box office actors ever. Like everybody's stuff is different, man. So, so, um, you know, you talked about hooping, you talked about now you, you spent some time overseas. Uh, I was a linebacker. So I was in another, in another world. Um, how was, how was playing ball or some of the lessons from playing ball? How does that impact like your journey today? Uh, I mean, you, you spoke about competition. Like, I don't think that ever leaves like, and really competitive in the sense, like you just want to do your best at all times. You know what I mean? Um, but I, I think team sports are so important for children because it teaches you camaraderie. It teaches you selflessness. It teaches you sacrifice, you know, that it, it teaches you like to be a part of something. Um, it's just, it just gives you a greater understanding of like teamwork, you know what I mean? Like, so in a production, there's so many 
moving parts, you know, from the, the, the corporate people at the top that green light the stuff to the people that create the shows and write the shows. And then you got the camera people and the grip people and the people like there's so many moving parts. It's like, but we all have to work together and do our best to make this thing come true. You know what I mean? So it's like, I think for some who never played sports can struggle with that because they're just so focused on themselves. And it's like, I, I had, we were doing a scene with me and, and Adrian who plays Uncle Phil. And, you know, you get your close up. I mean, you do your wide master shot where everybody's kind of seeing, then you get into your closer close ups. So I do my close up and then it's his turn to do his close up, but I'm giving him energy as if we, I'm being seen as well. And after we're done, he goes, hey man, thanks for that. Uh-huh. Like some people don't really do that. And you know, some people will mail it in on you when the camera ain't on them. Uh-huh. And it's like, nah, man, like I played sports, you know what I mean? So it's like, if you look good, I look good. Right. So I'm gonna give you my best. You're gonna give me your best at all times, even on camera off because the show is going to benefit from it and we'll benefit from it from each other. But not everybody does that. But that's that's for me, at least that specifically comes from playing team sports and being happy for your teammate when they excel. And so, you know, for those out there listening that are in front of the camera that are auditioning, that was a dope gem because even in your auditions, when you go in with multiple people that you might not even have had a, a lot of time to build a, uh, a rapport with, those producers, those auditors, whoever's looking, they're they're looking at everything. They're looking at how you interact. So the idea that you brought that up while on the job, mm-hmm. but even before you get the job, to be able to feed or give that energy yeah. to your fellow um, potential ensemble member or castmate is um, they take note yeah. of that. And so yeah. it's that's that's a dope gem for those out there listening that are auditioning in, in front of the camera for sure. So I got one more question for you. You're a hooper. Mm-hmm. You play a coach. You're from you from Cal, you're from Cali. Mm-hmm. I'm from Chicago. Okay. <clears throat> MJ or Bron? Uh, Kobe. <laughs> How did I know that was gonna come? I knew that was coming. <laughs> Kobe, man. Kobe, it's Kobe all day long. Oh man, that's I, I got. And, I got. And I, and I, I respect. I respect what Mike did. Mike did. I respect what LeBron did and has done. Um, but just an LA guy, Inglewood guy, Laker guy, like you know, Kobe was it. You know what I mean? Like you know, and Magic and you know. But it's it's. I I struggle to have that goat conversation because mm-hmm. it's like there's different eras so it's like it's really hard to compare what people do you know what i mean and um but i would definitely take in a contemporary time i'm taking kobe over lebron for sure sure. all right that's that that's part two yeah (laughs) Yeah. but i love i love what lebron does man you know what i mean like and i love what mj did i love what kareem did like i don't think kareem gets enough props for really being probably the greatest in uh, every level high school. Mm-hmm. He, I mean, he never lost a mm-hmm. champ. He won every year in high school. He won every year in college. He won 
five times, six times in the NBA, six times, like, dude, like, you know what I mean? Like, they changed the rules because of him. He couldn't dunk in college because they was like, that's not fair. It's like, come on, man. He don't get no props because he's a center. But it's like, you know, Mike built off what Dr. J did. Kobe built off what MJ did. You know, LeBron built off what MJ and Magic and all those guys did. You know, you look at Jokovic and what he's doing. He, he's like a seven-foot Magic, you know what I mean? Then you got the guy from France that's coming, oh, that's seven-foot seven or whatever, whatever that's going to be, you know what I mean? Yeah. So, you know, I just appreciate the sport for what it is and appreciate the sport for what it is and, uh, you know, try to appreciate the players while they're playing because once they retire, you gonna we gonna miss them. So all this yeah. critiquing of LeBron and what Kobe didn't do and Mike, it's like yo, when they done, you are gonna be like, man, I wish that dude was still playing. Oh yeah, that's real. That's real. I saw, you know, obviously Brian was hurt, missed a couple easy layups that he probably yeah. would have gotten, and you start to see, you know, father time yeah. is father time. Yeah, undefeated. Yep. Absolutely. Well, listen, brother, I I appreciate you taking the time sure. to uh, talk about your journey. You know, let the folks know how they can stay in tune with uh, with what you have uh, going on uh, and what's coming up next. Uh, I mean, obviously, social media, um, Brooklyn McLean, TikTok, you know, Twitter. I'm not really on Twitter, but Brooklyn McLean is, is my handle pretty much on everything. Um, right now, just really focused on uh, developing the foundation. We're trying to have like a. Uh, a wellness walk in September for Heart Awareness Month. Turn my story into a movie. Um, and just taking care of my nephew, man. Like, that's really, like, the thing that brings me the most joy um, is just making sure that our Black boys are getting an opportunity to be productive citizens and not get caught up in the system, you know, his parents' story is his parents' story, but you know, the fact that I'm alive and healthy enough to uh, take him in and make sure that he gets a head start at life means everything. Like, I I trade it all just to make sure he was good. So that's really my main focus. Well, appreciate your time, and have a blessed day. Peace. All right. Take it easy.